0: We are live in the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark cast iron building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. Although tonight is a very special night, as well as being the night of the All-Star Game, we will still start tonight as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been here before, welcome home. Uh, tonight's book, Big Red, the publisher, Triumph, the co-authors, Phil Pepe and Ken Griffey. Please join me as we say welcome home to Phil Pepe and welcome to Ken Griffey. Thank you. And uh, what we're going to do a little bit different tonight, uh, and as these gents, I think maybe they were a little surprised that we had a nice turnout in the rain the night of the All-Star game. Yeah. but that's a tribute to what the clubhouse brings out. So, I'm getting out of the way. This is your show tonight. We're going to have Q&A right from you. I'm, I'm, all I'm doing is holding this. Uh, Jim. Hi, my
1: name is Jim, and first of all, I'd like to thank Phil Pepe for so many years of great writing, great baseball writing, and forming baseball fans uh, about the game we And, Ken, it's a pleasure to meet you. I want to thank Ken and the entire Griffin family for giving so much to the game of baseball. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So much. It. Thank you. Um, Ken, the question I have is your skipper, Sparky. And uh, Ken, I know it's in your book probably, and I'm going to read it, but what made Sparky Anderson so special as a manager
2: and as a man? As a manager, Sparky would not say very much. Uh, he wasn't the type who, would ransom grade unless he got upset at the umpires. And I think you know, he only did that a couple of times. I didn't really see sparking everything mad any, You know, and he let you play. Uh, he let you go out and do your thing. Uh, my problem I had with him was that, you know, I was young, I was the youngest one on that club. So uh he wasn't going to cater to me as much anymore. So uh, you know he already had the big a board the bench, more than and bread so when he came into the league, he was, um, you know, the, the headline said Sparky Group, and no one knew who Sparky was, where he came from, and everything of that nature. But uh, Johnny Bench told him to sit back, you sit over there, don't say anything, we'll make you a star, <laughs> and that's what Sparky became. He became a big star. But as a man, he, you know, he was just very proud, uh, very proud of what he had accomplished even though he didn't get to be I think he got to the big leagues and hit one ninety or something like that. But getting to the big leagues at that time was pretty tough anyway. So but playing for him and being the person he was it was an joy to play for him. I like I said I didn't talk to him very much. I stayed out of his way. I enjoyed the game, enjoyed the play the game. But being a young man, sometimes you the best thing is to stay away from the match. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what I did.
0: Who's batting second? I hit second ball. Have a question, Phil? I have a question. My son Joe told me that you and your son
1: hit
3: back-to-back home runs. Yep. Only
2: father-son ever. Ever. And so, what's the age
4: spread between you two? Uh, Twenty. Twenty years. Twenty years. You were
1: how old when that happened?
2: I was forty, and he was no, I was forty-one. I actually have to take it back. I was 40 and he was 20. Wow. Yeah, mine went first. Like <laughs> 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 yeah. father, like Yeah, I just was. had that. <laughs> I didn't want him to tell everybody his went first. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'll
5: follow up since uh, Junior was brought up. He was, I mean, the boy is kind of the reason why I... Really, i am still so heavily involved in this game. Like yeah, I was a Secret Rangers fan when I was a kid, even though I was a kind of, secret. Well, because I'm from you know Michigan, so I was, I was a Tigers fan through and through, through. Michigan. I was you know a Tiger fan through and through, but when I went home in my bedroom, I had a card of, of, of you know a kangaroo and you know it bums me up. Now we see all these young kids that come up, this Crouch, or Harper's, and Machado's, and all them, and to me. Your son was something so completely unique and special to, to come out at that age, you know, and just to dominate the way he did at that end of an age how much fun he had. Do you think his legacy is to kind of always be compared now whenever there's a young person that comes out, like that they're going to be the next rookie junior? Or, you know, where do you think he ranks as far as, you know, being? Well, I couldn't tell you where he ranks, but I can tell you this. But,
2: you know, when I came through, everyone was, was compared to the a good of was compared to Willie Mays. So you got to understand, the comparisons, you have to have a comparison. Okay. Who the great players are, and when you have a young kid coming up, they're always going to compare him to someone. You know, because he was compared to Willie Mays. You know, when he came yeah. now all the young kids are being compared to him. So, But that's just a, an honor. That's an honor for him, you know, to be compared to, or have somebody, all the all the sports and analysts, compare him to, or one of the younger, outstanding, talented ball players coming up, especially son Goodwin. Uh, related to him, yeah. so which is good. Yeah. I, I don't mind doing you know, I lost my net in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. yeah.
5: We're here on the, bat, the All-Star Game. Um, you have a few, a few forays uh, in that arena. Can you talk about your experience with the All-Star Game? I don't want them to complain very well for you. Yeah. Uh, well, that was the last
2: All-Star Game I was in in 1980. Two before that, I think I played in '76, '77. I didn't play in the one here in New York. Uh, I was hurt, but I was still on the roster. I had a chance to face Franklin in uh, '76 against when he was with uh, the Angels. It's so four you Got hurt. Yeah. And uh, got a base hit RBI in that game, so we won. But you know, when you're in the National League, you you play the game, also you've I was just playing a you know, personal private. Not because they want to get home to the fans in the world Series. It was You got picked by an all, on the all-star team, that's the first surprise you're going to go out and uh, beat the other team, especially mm-hmm. American. So when I, was, when I first came up, I think we won 11 straight we were all-star teams. So when I was fortunate to be, at uh, least, named three, I got to play in two and named, uh, in three of them. And then 1980, it was strange. Because was 1980, I was, uh, I was with the Reds. And it was between Dusty Baker and myself. And Dusty was on the Dodgers. But Frank, I mean, uh, Tanner, uh, Chuck Tanner picked me to play on the offense. And the strangest thing was, during that game, I think it was the third inning, think, third or fourth inning, uh, we got a chance. This, you know, he was going to make a move when they were bringing in Tommy Jones. And they were going to get a right hand against Tommy Jones. And Lou uh, Lasorda, Tommy Lasorda, told Chuck Tanner, he said, Chuck, he said, I'd you out of your And Chuck said, he's my family. And Lasorda said, I've been watching you for 10 years. killing Tommy Lasorda. I would rather see Griffin than anybody else. I'd end up hitting home running with any fear at That's how I got to the game, was to Tommy Lasorda. He's the said, we manager. He hated Reds. He, <laughs> <laughs> he always played Dodger Blue. I haven't seen it yet, but that's what he said. <laughs> you said. Know, you mentioned you mentioned, sorry, uh, you mentioned
5: Chuck Tanner. And yeah. uh, I had a chance to interview Chuck before he passed. And one of the things that you related to me was when you were with the Braves, that you brought Junior out and junior brought his play as a young kid during batting practice. Junior was just, uh, <laughs> high school. he just got drafted.
2: He just got good. drafted. And uh, I took him to Atlanta. Everyone was looking at him, and they seen number 22 and taken back in practice. He was hitting the ball all up in the stands, and they looked at him and said, man, Ken Griffey got a little thinner, but he's taller. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, that's the idea. He just kind of grew a little bit and got a little thinner. <laughs> that's two days. You know? But yeah, he, was, uh, he came down and Willie really started and got the opportunity to work with him. And he really didn't tell me after he worked with me, how like quick this kid made adjustments and he was only 19 at that time no I'm sorry 17 He was 17 years old so he flies to Seattle Funny any part in Seattle he gets there to work him out in Seattle and Dick Williams was the manager for the Mariners at that time and Dick told Woody Woodward he said okay you can put him on the team now they thought he could play on the Woody Woodward had a fit because he said he hasn't been playing professional name game. he said that's alright he hit better than anybody I have on the team <laughs> he can run better and throw better so we, you can put him on the team so that, that was a tribute to him the 17 year old they say he's playing almost like being like Joe Nuts. can you talk about when you grew up and the incredible athletes who came out of the North Pennsylvania do is a small town uh, just south of Pittsburgh, 30 miles south, off of 51. And you see, out of our high school it was Sam Musial, uh, Deacon Dan Tyler, Joe Joe Montana, and Fred Cox. Football players, baseball players. Me and Stan were two baseball players. Fred Cox was the Kicker, Minnesota, I think, or oh, no, so it's a Minnesota, show, yeah. Minnesota, and then Stan, Stan, usual. Then we had mm-hmm. what other uh, quarterbacks? I had area, Jim Kelly, Marino, um, Joe Namath. Joe Namath.
1: All from
3: your town. Not from <laughs> the town, but from the local <laughs> area. Oh, you know,
2: within about, probably about what, 40 mile radius. Wow. So we had some pretty good. But see, football was really known for southwestern Pennsylvania. And
6: Arnold, Arnold, but nobody here, very few people here knew Yeah, Army.
2: Uh-huh. Arnold. Arnold was from the north. And as a matter of fact, his nephew um, was okay. at the University of West Virginia, quarterback at the University of West Virginia. And during that time, is when I had a, I had a cousin who was uh, on that Marshall team that went under, you know, with. That, yeah, he was on that team when the plane crashed know, so, uh, he Fortunately, at that time, he didn't make a flight, but he never lived it now. So he was always suffering from that. So. Did you always want to play baseball as opposed to anything else? No, I wanted to play football. But <laughs> I got stuck playing baseball. <laughs> to be honest with you, baseball was my force football was the one. I got picked to play uh, a long American high school player out of the North, played the Big 33, Hershey, Pennsylvania. So the Big 33 over there. That's the best best players in Pennsylvania usually play the best players in Ohio and Texas. But uh, basketball was number two. I ran track. So track was pretty much I set a couple records in track. But Baseball, I would run track and play baseball at the same time. We had a game that day, you know, that morning. I, I tracked that afternoon. I would go up in my baseball uniform, i high jumper, I'd jump, i jump, run the 100, and then I'd go back down to the But I, I was, I'm the only high school kid that had a uh, letter to the four sports and four straight in high school. out of the north. Usual said he would have, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said he didn't like run track.
6: <laughs> you know, by the way, that uh, Junior and Stan Usual have the same birthday?
2: Yeah, November 21st. Both born uh, November 21st. Has somebody tested the
4: water
2: in that area? Uh, <laughs> so they, they, would, they wouldn't they, want to. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it they would, they wouldn't be bad now, but back then, still the steel mills, I don't think because they had a big, you know, during the years of nineteen forty-eight, I think they had a what they call a small alert. Twenty-one or forty people died in that city from in small inhalation. They all had breathing problems. A lot of them got sick and died.
6: His father died. Of yeah, late night. In in late late later, later years, years as a result of. But
4: you you, you stronger, I yeah. guess. It
2: was a good place to cool. grow. I mean, it was a fine place to grow up for kids. uh, Small town. Everyone knew everyone. So it was a great place to grow up. Um, Who would be your favorite player, current player to watch? Current player to watch now? My grandson, Makai.
6: So I don't watch any players anymore. I watch him all the time. I have a coach, he's a pretty good little player. He has got, got the right shoes for him. He, he got the right He's great. You used to tell me you would run me to death with them shoes. We buy him shoot twenty
2: two times, and he finally got it. Yeah. He was. But now the current player, now I would probably say we. Well, he's not, you know watching him his mouth an field and he played right here. Stanton. Uh, so yeah I Stanton I, you know I, I don't watch my own down in Florida but I don't see my I hear he can hit the ball to the moon but 6'7 six, seven, six, seven,
6: two 250 yeah, I don't know 6'7 you know, <laughs> you know, like, hey, I've seen
2: guys with, what, five, ten 150 160 hit the ball Willie Mays really? Aaron, yeah. you know, those guys are little Yeah. You know, ballparks are different I'm a Dodger fan. I remember that that Dodger probably. You
1: bad. bad. <laughs> <man. laughs> didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> that <wasn't laughs> I, I want to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> Sharks just say hey though. <laughs> yeah. But um, there was this one guy. Well,
0: that
1: was one he, scratch. They couldn't itch. They couldn't scratch. Mm-hmm. And know uh, I never saw a ball player, I've been mean, following baseball since I was 18, 1959, I, know, um, I never saw a player who, who, who went out in that field and wanted to just win. What was just his, his most
2: special attribute? His most special attitude That attitude would be probably uh, his concentration. I mean, Pete had so many things going on sometimes you're wondering... <laughs> He would get four hits and you're saying, I don't even think about all this stuff that's going on But he was he, his, his ability to to I was talking to Peppy this afternoon about this one of the sports writers this afternoon about what he said to a lot of us younger players and he always told us play the game as a game And nobody's gonna take those three hours away from me that I enjoy doing. And I don't care what's going on. He anything going on, off the field? like can handle that. But those three hours are mine. And once I get between those white lines, that's what, and that's what he enjoyed doing. When he played so hard. I mean, you know, we just, he was our catalyst. Uh, big red machine catalyst. When he started to do stuff, he get hit, I get hit, Morgan did. It was just intense right up there. I mean, it was one year that we had, we had six guys hit, uh, 300 and two guys hit, no less than 285 and 295 on that team. So. But we, he was just a strong-minded person. His will to win was uh, you know, measured, you know, not measured by anything, he wanted to win all the time. And that proved in the game against, uh, I guess the All-Star game, he ran into Foxy. Ray Fox. And, and that night they were supposed to have dinner. <laughs> Ray was still in the hospital. <laughs>
0: By the way, the uh, just as a little tease, in the foreword to the book, which was written by George Foster, he talks about Ken's Best Attribute, which I'm not going to give away, but since you have the book, you'll be able to read it. <laughs> I um, wanted
1: to find out your impression. You played in Cincinnati, which is a great baseball town in the Midwest, New York. West Coast, not quite so much. Can you explain a little bit about what you found, the differences between the playing there, as far as you the fans' reactions or anything that struck you?
2: Well, you know, coming when I came out of Cincinnati, Cincinnati was usually what they called conservative, very conservative, but they're, they're outstanding fans. They know the games in and out. Uh, when I came to New York, I had to deal with George Steinbrenner. <laughs> that was a little difference. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, I didn't we worry about Phil. We talked all the time, man. He, he wouldn't even say anything bad about anybody. <laughs> but we had to deal with George. And George was not afraid to tell the press what he thought. And if he made a mistake, he told the press know. I mean that everyone else, know. the Post picked it up all the time. So, you know. But uh, that was one of the biggest differences that I found, was just the, the magnitude of the, the media here in New York compared to Cincinnati or Seattle or even Atlanta you know and Atlanta we couldn't beat anybody so but we were on TV every night as the America's team the other thing was funny do you
1: think it was a big advantage to starting off in a place like Cincinnati before getting to a French quarter like New York no, I don't I
2: don't think out? so for me it, it didn't matter I just wanted to play you know and I and what happened I could have went free agent in 81 I had a chance to go free agent I could have went to any team I wanted to And the Reds wanted to make a deal, and they asked me what team would I go to in the American League. And I said the only team I'd go to would be the Yankees, because they were just coming off of a World Series in '81. So, and I I was promised something I didn't get, but I don't know if Phil knows this, but George had promised that they were going to sign Rich. But that was the only reason why I signed here in New York is that he said they're we'll going to sign Reggie. I was yeah. going to get second in the lineup Reggie was going to get fourth. So the four guys was going to be Randolph, myself, uh, Winfield, and Reggie Jackson. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been the starting. That would have been the start. The first four guys. Wow. Awesome.
5: Okay.
2: But that didn't happen because of George that Reggie go. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh, in hindsight, the trade of Perez
2: by the big red machine at the beginning of the decline, did you sense that at the time? We kind of sensed it. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I told George that because we still had a kid on the bench after the 73 playoffs. It was a mess. Uh, Dan Dreeson. And Danny was considered one of the best players, you know. In the mining system. Matter of fact, he was the number one prospect in the organization at the time. He got called up, and there was a mistake made in the 73 playoffs against the Mets. He was playing third, which Dries had never played third in his life, to be honest. And there was a play at third base, and he he just tagged the base instead instead of tagging the runner because it wasn't a four-side. Well, Sparky set him for five years. Dries did not play that much in five years. Sparky felt after the 76 se- season, and Dries had such an outstanding World Series against the Yankees. You know, where he had a couple home runs, and he was pretty close to the event for running neck and neck for the MVP. And I think Sparky wanted to make that move and put Dries in the first base, which we weren't going to lose much in terms of talent, you know, uh, run production, RBIs, and uh, average, but we lost the attitude of the club. Doggy was the attitude of the club. I mean, he was the backbone in terms, in terms of guys going out there on the field. He made Bench play. He made Morgan play. He made Rose play. You know, a lot of times. So Doggy was our backbone because he was, he was the prankster. At the same time, he was the guy that you, you know, he can drive in a run anywhere to win a game at any time. And that's what we respect But he was the guy that was the backbone of that club. And once that happened, you know, next year Drees did the same thing. Drees hit three fourteen, drove in ninety-one runs, hit twenty or twenty one runs or something Pretty close. What what wood doggy Tony Perez would do, but well, we just the attitude was That was the biggest thing. That. That's when we lost it. But once they start they started talking about getting rid of us because they said he couldn't afford us. You know, starting eight, they said he couldn't afford it. And we weren't making that much of these. I didn't make 100000 until I got to my like, sixth year of business. So I said, they couldn't afford it? <laughs> I, I, they
4: couldn't afford me? Thank <laughs> <laughs> you over here. Um, you know, kind of piggybacking on what Manish shared about his memories of growing up with your son, and kind of as evidence, as the kicks are on your grandson's feet. And in 1999, 15. All-Stars ago, my dad was sitting back there and I got a chance to go up to Fenway and All-Star game was one thing Pedro mowed down the National League for seven innings. but Home Run Derby you know, your son now you got their hat back just being the kid, popping him out over Fenway, and we didn't know at the time why McGuire was popping him out but looking back, you know, 15 years later 15 All-Stars later, we go man, he did it the right way not because he felt what he had to do it was in his heart and he left a lasting impression on us that we could pass along. Where McGuire left his own lasting impression. Did you guys really... And he really transcended. He's the last... Even Jeter aside, because Jeter doesn't have shoes that a, a young man that never saw him play would wear. I really feel like your son is the last pop culture athlete that had that crossover ability that baseball might never get back. And uh, it transcended the sport. I really made like it a But Did you guys... You know...
2: Some of you probably were that uh, doing that home run there. Did you watch the home run there? What happened? They, when they were talking about McGuire hitting the ball good. out of Fenway Park. We were
4: somewhere in the left field under those Fenway stands, so we didn't get to see the TV. Did, did
6: you ball. notice Pepe when he hit?
4: Junior, no. Junior hit a home run the
2: right field, hit a home run the center field, hit a home run the left field, and that all started. Doing the home run there. Right. Then he went back He hit one in left field. One in the center field he left right field. So yeah. So he yeah, well he just went around the field. They were hitting balls <laughs> clean out of the stadium, right. but he was proving he said, well let me do this and yeah. see what they if they noticed. I mean, that's what he did. He just went around the field. <laughs> the east, and he went to left field, right field, center field, or around his you know, left field, center field, right field, and went back. And then he went back. And nobody knows the demeanor. Mark McGuire was grunt and yeah. everything else hit the ball yeah, completely
5: course. out of the stadium with Junior. Just them out. But I I'll tell you this, that you said earlier that you feel like you've lost your right? identity, mean, you know, because I'm assuming you guys have um you know your boy. But I think that honest to God, you've got I've had, I I disagree with that, I think you've got an incredible legacy because of that last name that I would think everyone in this room would agree that had your son partaken in the PEDs that everyone else in that era did, he'd have eight hundred home. He would have had 800, nine hundred, it would have been untouchable. Well, I think he probably he would have did that if we he get her. Well I think see, and that's the thing, that's the reason. You know, a lot of these guys claimed the steroids was to, to you know, stay uh, injury free or whatnot. So you know he didn't claim he did it the right way. And I'll tell you, you know, my parents, the only reason they let me wear my hat backwards when I was a kid is because I would say, well, Murphy does it, and he's a good player, and he does it the right way. I think that's honestly a lot of your legacy, is that you raised a really good kid that could be an amazing role. You know him. why he wears that backwards? Uh-oh. It's not him
2: not to. no. <laughs> 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 you know, that's another thing, But Junior White, he was not you know. Yeah. It wasn't Steinbrenner. Everyone thinks it was George. It was not Steinbrick. It was Billy Martin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's who... He refused to come to New York because he to wanted But the reason why he wore his hat back at his age, a little younger. He'd always come into the clubhouse when they got a chance to play father and son in Cincinnati. And at age 12, all the guys, all those kids that we had on our team, Perez and Benson, we wouldn't play our kids at 12 years old they would beat us. If they were a machine, they would beat us. But at that age, he always went out and had his hat. You don't like, it. you're supposed to wear it. It's like that. And it would always fall down his face. And I would throw a ball, and the hat would fall down. He couldn't see the ball, so he'd get out of the way. Because he couldn't see it. So he just said, Well, turn it around. Now can see And that's why he always wore the hat back. Well, because of disrespect. Because of him. Because he wore my hat all the time and every time he got it, somebody through it it happened <laughs> from his eyes, he couldn't see. So he was turning it right. in it. <laughs> little yeah, little head. My head was a little bigger than that. So could both you gentlemen talk about how you structured the book and decided
1: how to create this book and uh,
4: collaborate and uh, structure it? You want to elaborate well, on that? Uh, okay.
6: First of all, it turned out that I got into the, this late, very late, late. Yeah. Ken had made a, a deal with Triumph Books, and there was someone else who was supposed to write it, and he did not deliver it. And all of a sudden, I get a, a phone call from the publisher at Triumph, and they are kind of like in a panic. Said, you know, we have this book, and it's, <laughs> it's due to come out, and we need somebody to write it quickly. So I was <laughs> the guy they chose. <laughs> I got of work with him. But at the time Ken was uh, managing in the California uh, League at Bakersfield. So we didn't get together. I I think we were supposed to get the book done by the 1st of the first year, the first year. And yeah. we didn't get together until his season was over in September. It was almost like uh, mid-October when we almost first met. Five. Yeah. And it was a, really a, a rush job, but it was to me it was great because I, I had an opportunity to do a lot of research uh, that Ken wasn't even involved in. He, make, he led me to certain things, with, things about Zealand, the things about the smog that he talked about. I was able to research that and that was very enlightening to me. You know, and it was interesting. And the other stuff about his career, well, I've got a computer. <laughs> I can get all that stuff that way. And we got got together, what, three times? Three times. Three times.
2: Right now in Langford, Pennsylvania.
6: And we talked, you know, maybe for about two or three hours each time, and it was all done on tape. And that was enough to to produce a book. But he's had very good recall. He remembered things. And I checked up on it. I mean, when he gave me a fact, I looked at the the computer, see if he was right or wrong. And I would say 95% of the times he was right on the money.
1: Rich, Rich, what
2: was your favorite uh, World Series moment? Oh, my favorite World Series moment when I scored a winning run in the 75 World Series. <clears throat> Everyone still thinks Carl Pitts won the game. Yeah. <laughs> won the World Series, actually. They thought, they thought Boston yeah. won the World's 75 World Series because of that home run. But they had to play game seven. Uh,
4: <laughs> we have been agreed. to
1: would, would you manage again? Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to manage in the age of Twitter and <laughs> multiple times? Of- Managing was fun. I had a chance <laughs> to manage some
2: kids, pretty good players. Uh, Billy Hamilton. Uh, it was you had like, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I had Bill. St. I had out there. I had Chad, Chad Rogers. Uh, that was the only time, let me tell you, the year I managed those kids was the first time in 11 years that San Jose Giants was beat in the first half you know, with those kids. I mean, since Ronnie wouldn't throw a fastball, 48, 49 pitches. And my kid pitching coach would go crazy. He got to throw a breaking ball sooner or later. I said, well, he doesn't. no one's got to hit. Why should he throw a breaking ball <laughs> you know, six, seven minutes? But the biggest thing I found out from management was the pitch count. You get some kids, the pitch count is, we started out, we had 80 pitches was the total we started with 80. You know, our starters would go 80 pitches. And some of our pitches would go, first two innings, they'd have them 39, 40 pitches. So now we're looking at going into the bullpen. So that's the toughest thing is to manage down to the minor leagues about pitch count. Because some of these kids never really get strong. And then when they go to the big leagues, if they, if they're good enough, they're talented enough to go to the big leagues. You know, the fourth and fifth inning, they're tired, they're worn and it makes it makes a big difference in some of these how they last. If they last, sometimes it's people. They seem like they hit a stone wall as soon as they get to the 70 pitches. They're out of gas. Do you think? that that's what? Yeah. Well, that's just the way you know. I mean, you've, you've seen everybody. How many Tommy John there? Yes. Our pitchers didn't know what Tommy Johnson was. No time was you know. so but I mean you look at J.R. Richard, three hundred innings. Tom Seaver, you know. that that whole pitching staff probably here in New York. You know they they probably had over a thousand innings. You know, that just for them, it three hundred in a piece, just three of them. You know Matt Kuzma, Seaver, when you had Tug McGraw coming out of the field, and usually Tug would come in two to three innings instead of one hitter. So, so the, t- the difference has totally
4: changed.
2: You know, I going with manage now because I'm too old. <laughs>
4: Bus rides, you agree? Oh. Bus rides, I don't worry about the bus rides. California, it's only four hours. Oh, yeah, right. Oh. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> that, that's the only
2: league I'd manage in would be California. Four hours is all I can stand. New York Fed 45
4: minute drives. Well, so okay. Listen,
2: I played in the Eastern League and it was 15 hour drives. Cool. Oh. That was from Canada to West Haven, Connecticut oh. to Reading, Pennsylvania. So, rides in the du- du- Double A still has some long rides. I think that's the only leagues, double A Leagues usually the longest bus ride you'll get. That was in the yeah. Southern yeah. League. Southern League. They still do it in Southern League. Yeah. We had when we were in Chattanooga they used to travel from Chattanooga to West Tennessee, which was sixteen hours. John I
3: love the fact that your book addresses uh, fatherhood because I think baseball is inherently a father son game. And, um, as my son can attest, um, I had him playing before he was even in diapers, really. <laughs> and, um, it's been great to kind of share the sports with him, and, um, but it's also been a challenge at times to kind of not put too much of my own stuff onto him. Um, my own desires for him to be a, a major league football player, and, um, your son became one. Right. Um, how did you regulate your fantasy of that happening and kind of keep that in check?
2: Well, it started when I was here in New York mostly. It was around 12 when I got traded uh, to the Yankees. And during the summers, he was playing on the travel team, you know, in travel ball and all that but on weekends you know he kind of did some stuff and he, That he mother well to me in New York and I asked him what he wanted to do and he said he wanted to be a major league player so I I was since I was in the game I may as well teach him all, all the tricks of the trade so what I did was I took him down to Yankee Stadium down underneath the batting cage and he took batting classes. but I wouldn't tell him what I was throwing and I thought fastball so curveball sliders so I wanted to find out how well he would make adjustments by the age of 14 I couldn't strike him out so I knew I had something special and I was left handed and that's all he'd seen, was a left handed picture me. so left handed is never ribbed, never possible he probably had more problems with right hands than he left because that's all he'd seen was left handed but the mental aspect of it was getting mentally strong making those adjustments understanding, for me, a lot of these young kids, you know, they come into the, into the league and they don't understand what baseball is actually about. What, why certain things happen. For instance, if you're not hitting well or playing well, and all of a sudden you see yourself sitting on the bench. That didn't happen when they were playing high school ball or college. Okay, and now they see themselves in the bench. They're wondering why they can't handle that, that aspect. of that. So you try to teach them if situations come up, baseball is day in, day out, every day. It's a brand. You know, we play 162 games, 140 in minor leagues. When you get to certain leagues, you play over 100, 140 games. and you got 162 leagues in big leagues. You're playing baseball every day. And the difference is you can be a goat to a hero 15 minutes or less sometimes. What you got to understand stay at a high level mentally to play the game. Uh, and you got to do that every day. You just can't go out there and say I'm just going to be half the day and half a month. No. Baseball is day in, day out, every day and it's a grind. You've to be mentally prepared to do it. And the mental aspect of the game is probably the hardest part for some of the young kids to maintain because uh, you know you're going to get tired. You know you're going to get more out I mean, I watch some of the kids that come out of high school or college, and they had never played 22, 23 games straight.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they're always asking, me I need a break. I, need break. <laughs> <laughs> I got to come out of the game. You give me a rest today? The they're asking me, and I can't afford to give a rest of them. Well, if I can give a rest now, I get calls from the front office.
3: Why is he not playing? You know, So that's the toughest thing to do. Was it expected of you when you were growing up that you
2: at that rate at I, I, I was I was not uh, I was fortunate that I didn't understand the game that much but I was fortunate that I wanted to play every day so I didn't care if I was out there every day. I played in the in Bradenton, Florida we played 70 games and it was anywhere between 100, 111 150 and 120 degrees we played 12 o'clock every day we didn't have night games we played 12 o'clock every day we didn't have any days off. So the days off, you know, you were out of here, But you had to learn how to make it just what you. you know, it's an outfit, You can rest. All you can do is stand up. <laughs> sometimes. But the mental aspect of the game is probably the toughest. And I, I would teach you things like, what do you expect the owner to think when you're playing? Okay, so you go over 12. Right? You're not dealing with it. Or do you think the manager or the owner wants you out there and you're struggling, but you're staying consistent day in, day out, every day, you're doing well, you know the owners are going to play no matter what. So that's how I myself kept myself going. I, said I had to play the high level every day. I didn't want to sit on it. bench. I didn't want the owners thinking that, you know, in order to do that, you play that well every day, you're gonna get rewarded. And see, you know, I, I broke in, we made five hundred dollars a month. I think when I got to triple I was making eleven hundred dollars a month. So the difference now, is some of these guys are triple or double A making <laughs> so much money, you know. So but I, I just always taught him that you gotta think which with the front office thinking, how they're managing, how you think they would manage the bus and then you go play your your game and do it as well, they can't bother you. They can't bother you if you're hitting 300 for doing what you're supposed to do, making catch and stuff. But if you're doing it and you're fluctuating up and down and you got a week that you haven't got hit, do you think that'll put you out there? How bad did he
3: one.
2: Oh, he won it bad. He won it bad because he just wanted to be better than that. <laughs> And that's how he looked at it. You know, if I get to my
0: dad didn't get there for five years. I'm going to try to get there soon.
2: I ain't never going to take it 15 days <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, it, was, it scared me to have this whole thing.
0: Is it, You haven't asked a question, right? No. All right. So th- we're going to have your question, and that's going to be the last question because the All-Star Game is starting. He won the MVP award in 1980, and he's one of the legendary baseball writers to ever live. For just for you guys to, to know both of those there's
2: things. There's only one father and son and one the MVP and all-star MVP. In That's great. So,
0: so uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when Junior was six seven years old, when he was first starting to baseball, did he ever like not want to play or did he just want to be like this? No, he wanted
2: to play all the time. He didn't want to play football he got hit one night. <laughs> <to play> <laughs> I mean, he played well. He was a wide receiver, he played, as a matter of fact, his junior in high school. They won the state championship in Mobile High School in Cincinnati. And he weighed about 165. And he was about 6'2. He came back the next year, he was 6'2, weighed about 180. And his coach didn't recognize he walked in the office and said, "He never tired <laughs> of football. So that's what he did. He retired. And he never played football or anything else. He was a good basketball player. He wanted to play baseball, so that's all I... I think it's because that's the only reason It's all he's seen me play. When I showed him articles of what I did in high school, he said, that, that's not cheap. He
4: never played football. <laughs> I had <to>
0: prove. <laughs> So that's where we're going to end it up. Feel free to hang out. For those listening to the podcast, again, the book, Big Red, published by Triumph Books, written by Ken Griffey and Phil Pepe. Thanks so much.